0: Well, hey, we are in the third week of 2019. The third week of 2019 is anyone still holding true to their New Year's resolution? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Just a bunch of shameful looks around the room. That's all right. That's okay. That's okay. Because as we're going to talk about today, the goal of what happens when we come here together is not to make you feel guilty. And so I just want to let you know, here's the good thing. You don't have to feel like there was some arbitrary power in the fact that the calendar date changed from an eight to a nine. Jesus has new mercy for you every single day. And so today was a brand new start in your walk with the Lord. Today was a brand new start on your life. And tomorrow when you wake up, it's going to be a brand new start on your life. And so we just believe that in this year, in 2019, that every day is a day for us Turn up the volume on what God is doing every day as an opportunity for us to amplify the work of Jesus in our lives. And so that's where we've been. We're here in the third week of this opening sermon series of the year. Now, amplify is our word for the year, but we're only going to be in this sermon series for about six weeks. And then as we continue through the book of Acts, we'll, we'll kind of give the sermon series different names as the kind of themes change a little bit in the book of Acts. But what we have been seeing as we have been journeying together through the the book of Acts in these first few weeks of the year is that we have seen Jesus speak to his disciples. Now, we're not talking about just any random person. We're talking about the resurrected Jesus. We're talking about the Jesus who died on a Roman cross, was buried, and three days later, the tomb was empty, and he was alive. And so this risen Jesus has given a message to his followers, to his disciples. And what he has said to them in chapter 1, verse 6, is that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And today in the 21st century in the United States, we live at the ends of the earth. And so we have the same call from God to be witnesses, And as we discovered later on in the chapter, Peter kind of clarifies for us what we are witnesses to and that you and I are witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And though you and I are not eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, we did not physically see a resurrected Jesus because we have experienced the resurrection power of Christ in our lives. We are firsthand witnesses to the resurrected Jesus. And so we started off, Jesus has given us our message and the Holy Spirit then in chapter two has empowered us for our mission. If our mission is to carry this message, then the Holy Spirit has come that we might amplify that message. And so last week I shared a little bit of my record collection with you and I showed you what happens when we take the small speakers of our lives and plug it into the amplifier. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit takes hold in our lives, is the Holy Spirit becomes the amplifier that turns everything up, turns the volume up, it gives us an abundant life. In Jesus' name. And so last week, we finished our sermon, we finished our time together in the Word hearing this very first sermon that Peter delivers in Acts chapter 2, that Peter has delivered the very first message in the history of the church. And the message was just as simple and just as profound and just as compelling and engaging and dynamic today as it was that day on the day of Pentecost in the first century. That Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. This is what we read last week in Acts chapter 2, 23 through 22 through 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. That's it. That's the first sermon of the church is Peter declaring that Jesus is alive. And that's our sermon today. And that's the sermon. That's if we're honest about it, that's the only real message the church has ever had. Now, you may have grown up in a church and you and I have both attended churches where the message was far more than that and far you know, there were far more things added on to that. But the reality is the message of the gospel has never been clearer. It has never been simpler. It's never been more dynamic. Jesus is a lie. So the question that we've got to ask ourselves today is what we're going to discover in response to Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, which is this. What happens when we receive the message? What happens when we receive this message that Jesus is alive? What happens in your life? What happens in your heart and in your soul when you receive this message that Jesus Christ is alive? He is raised from the dead. He is seated now at the right hand of the Father and he is interceding on your behalf. That's right. The Lord of all creation is praying for you right now. What happens when we receive this message? And I want to go ahead and confess to you something up front. When I was preparing to preach this message about two weeks ago, I was kind of looking at our preaching calendar and where we were going to be in the book of Acts. And I thought for sure, this message is going to be a really great message about Acts 2, 42, through 47, where we learn about how all the believers were together in one place and they had everything in common and they sold their possessions to take care of all the needs of all the people. And I thought, man, this is going to be a great message about what happens when the church gets really excited about what the Holy Spirit's doing in their life. And then I read the first verse that was part of our, our, our scripture for the day and I got stopped in my tracks because God just grabbed a hold of my heart. Because when we open up Acts chapter 2 and read verse 37, this is what we see. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And I found myself going, What does that mean? What does it mean to be cut to the heart? What is is the insinuation here? What is it that Luke, who wrote the, the book of Acts, what is it that he's trying to explain took place on the day of Pentecost? Peter has delivered the first message of the church, and the people from all around the world have heard, and they have received this message, and it says they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And then I started thinking about my faith background. And maybe your faith background is like mine. I was born on a Thursday and in church on Sunday. And I was in church three days a week ever since. I tell people that when I was a kid, I had a drug problem in that I was drugged multiple times a week to church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, another night if there was choir practice, another day during the week if there was some cleaning that had to be done around the church. It was a small church in Hollywood, Florida, and I spent a tremendous amount of time there And and here's the thing that happened to me as a kid, and maybe this happened to you as a kid, or, or maybe this happened to you instead as an adult, that I, from a very early age, believed the authority of what I was hearing. From a very early age, I believed, I placed my faith in the news that Jesus was alive, that he was raised from the dead problem is, is that what came with that message was a lot of, Jesus was raised from the dead and he knows what you do and he knows everything you're doing and he is so disappointed in you. He knows everything you're doing and you should feel ashamed. You should feel guilty and small. And so when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, when I was a young adult, and I would go into a church service and I would hear someone preach the Word of God, what often happened is that the person who was delivering that message would deliver the message that Jesus was alive, that Jesus is alive. And with that message came a whole lot of guilt and shame and judgment and condemnation. I know that I'm not alone in that. But in Acts 2.37 when the people have heard the message that Jesus is alive, they were not condemned. They were convicted. They were convicted. And so when, when Luke says in Acts 2.37 that they heard this and they were cut to the heart, they had received conviction but they had not received condemnation. And so today, what I want us to focus on is not the result of the people receiving the message. It's not the result of what happens and how the early church was together in unity and they were enjoying favor amongst all the people. We'll get to that. But today, I just felt in my spirit that we needed to spend a day unpacking the difference between conviction and condemnation because my fear is that so many of us have gotten used to an experience in church or an experience with Jesus where we receive, condemnation and we find ourselves in the face of a risen Jesus feeling ashamed and guilty and condemned rather than convicted. And I want you to know that I understand where that comes from because I'm a pastor and I'm, I'm a preacher, I'm a communicator, and here's what I want you to know. As a communicator in a church, we want results. Can I just confess to you, we want results. We want people to make decisions for Jesus. I want to see people getting baptized. I want to see people giving their lives to Jesus. And somewhere along the way, in fact, there's there's a definite point that I can can point to in American history. Right in the middle of the 19th century, something called the Second Great Awakening. And the Second Great Awakening gave birth to this kind of uh, tent revival movement and what often was referred to as the Holiness Movement. And see, what came out of that was something where pastors were really good at getting people to make decisions because they would, pardon the phrase, just scare the hell out of them. That was the idea. The idea was that if I can make you feel guilty enough, if I can make you feel ashamed enough If I can make you feel judged and condemned enough, then I can motivate you to action. But here's what I want you to know. Me making you feel guilty, me making you feel ashamed, me making you feel condemned, it has no effectiveness whatsoever in your life to bring about change. I can make you feel really bad, but it will accomplish nothing for you eternally. But the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God that doesn't bring condemnation or guilt or shame or judgment, the Holy Spirit of God can bring conviction into your heart. And I don't have that power. And so for some of you who are here, you may be wondering, Pastor Rob, why is it that I never hear you preach on these certain issues? Pastor Rob, why don't I ever hear you jumping up and down on sin and all the things people are struggling with? Here's why. Because I can make you feel guilty, but that's all I can do. I have no power To bring conviction into your life. That's the Holy Spirit's job alone. And so I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to do what he alone can do. And so today I want to unpack for you this idea of conviction and condemnation. Maybe you are like me. Maybe you attended a church. Maybe you heard from someone who proclaimed to be a religious leader or religious authority. And they made you feel guilty And they made you feel ashamed. And I just want to let you know if you were made to feel guilty or ashamed, what you received was not from Jesus. If you were made to feel guilty or ashamed, what you received was not from Jesus because Jesus did not come to pile guilt and shame onto you. Now, were you empowered? not made to feel a certain way, were you empowered and equipped to change your heart or mind? That's what happened. If you were empowered and equipped to change your heart or mind, that is from Jesus. And this is how we know this. Because conviction is a hope-filled opportunity for God to change your heart. Conviction is a hope-filled Filled opportunity for God to change your heart. And conviction comes from the Holy Spirit because I can't change your heart. I can't even change mine. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction, but when conviction comes, conviction is a hope-filled opportunity. It's a moment for us to pause and take a breath and see that God wants something better for us, that God wants something more for us. See, when God brings conviction in your life, he's not coming in going, I'm so disappointed in you, I'm so ashamed of you, you should feel so guilty. When the Holy Spirit comes into our life, he says, don't you understand that you are a child of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings? Don't you understand that you live now in the resurrected power of Jesus Christ and he's got so much more for you than this? See, conviction is never about all the ways that you are failing. Conviction is about all the ways that God has already made way for you to succeed. Conviction is a hope-filled opportunity for God to change your heart. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. The night that Jesus was betrayed, we, we see the Last Supper dialogue. This is recorded from the end of John 13 through the beginning of John 17 in on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that Jesus would ultimately get ready to go to the cross and die, this is what he said about the Holy Spirit of God. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict, not condemn, not condemn. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit is the one responsible for conviction. Man has no ability to convict. And so parents, can I speak to us for a minute? Parents, can I speak to us for a minute? Mom, Dad, as much as we want to, as much as we desire to, we do not have the power or the authority Convict. And so we need to be very careful when we bring correction to our children as loving parents, when we bring correction to our children, when we are encouraging our children to follow Jesus, we need to be very careful that we don't blur those lines because conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. And so we need to be very careful that we don't try to do the work of the Holy Spirit and in turn bring nothing but condemnation to our children. The Holy Spirit is the one responsible for conviction. It's not us. He's the one who will do it. And conviction is a hope-filled opportunity for God to change our heart. Condemnation, on the other hand, condemnation is a hopeless accusation that you cannot change your action. Condemnation does not come from God. In fact, we know exactly where condemnation comes from because the word we have in your Bible as Satan, Satan is not actually a name. The devil is not named Satan. Satan is his title. Satan is a Hebrew word that means the accuser. Hopeless accusation does not come from God. Hopeless accusation comes from the enemy. Hopeless accusation steps into your mind, hopeless accusation steps into your life and says, you can't do it, you can't get it right, you can't change your behavior or your actions. And God, meanwhile, is going, what are you wasting your time on? I didn't come to take bad people and make them good, I came to take dead people and make them alive. And when we waste our time on condemnation and guilt and shame, when we waste our time on the lies of the accuser, we are making a relationship with Jesus about morality and not about death and life. Condemnation does not come from God. Many of us know John three sixteen. At the very least, we've got some Tim Tebow fans in the room. And most of us know John 3.16 pretty well. But do you know John three seventeen? Because John 3.16 is powerful, but if you don't know the next verse, then you've missed out on the real power of what God has come to do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now catch 17. For God did not Send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus was not sent to condemn. Jesus was not sent to condemn. So if you are made to feel judged and condemned and guilty and ashamed, what you have received is not from Jesus because Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him the difference here? Condemnation is hopeless. Condemnation is a hopeless accusation, but conviction, conviction is a hope-filled opportunity. Those who receive the message that Jesus is alive receive conviction, but are never condemned. Those of us who receive the message that Jesus is alive we will receive conviction, we will receive a hope-filled opportunity over and over again in our life where the Holy Spirit says to us, don't you know that God has more for you than this? Don't you know that God has announced a truth over you that you may not even be living into yet, but God has already declared it over you? God has already declared blessing over you that you're not even stepping into the fullness of yet. That's what we receive from the Holy Spirit, a hope-filled opportunity. That's what conviction is. But those of us who receive the message that Jesus is alive, we never, never, never receive condemnation. Romans 8.1 tells us this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you came today and you're going, I don't know why I'm in church. I don't even know what I even came for. If you hear nothing else today, if you hear me say nothing else today, here's what I want you to know. If you have placed your faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you need not ever fear condemnation. There's no more guilt for you. There's no more shame for you. There's no more judgment for you. Condemnation has no hold in your life. Jesus did not come into this world to condemn the world, but to save. So what happened on the day of Pentecost when People are gathered from all over the known world there in the first century, and Peter has just delivered this message, this message that Jesus is alive. What is their response? Well, we understand, we understand from Peter that conviction and not condemnation is what we receive, and we know that because of the response. This is what we read in Acts 2, 37-39. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Now, repent can be a scary Christianese word. And the reason that repent can be a scary Christianese word is because Sometime in the mid-19th century when all that holiness movement stuff started and that tent revival movement stuff started and people started going, hey, we just want to scare the hell out of you, that repent became an incredibly misused word. And instead of being what it means in the Bible, people started using repent as if repent meant feel ashamed feel judged feel condemned that's not what repent means repent is an incredibly powerful word but repent means change your heart it's not repent is not a condemnation on your actions and behavior repent is not a judgment to feel guilty about something you've done repent is a hope-filled opportunity for God to change your heart and mind. It's what happens when your heart and your mind make a 180-degree turn. So brothers, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit For the promise, track with me here, for the promise, the promise, what's the promise? The promise is that Jesus is alive and you can be too. Jesus is alive and you can be too. So the promise for the promise is for you and for your children, and I'm so grateful As long as I live until the day that I meet Jesus in person, I will be grateful that Luke records these words. For you, for your children, and for all who are far off. Those of us who are far off, those of us who because of our actions and our behaviors and our pasts, We go, God can never love me. God can never forgive me. God can never accept me. For those of us, because of the things we've done, all we have felt is guilt and shame and condemnation. The promise is for you. The promise is for you. Jesus is alive and you can be too. There's nothing that you've done that puts you out of the reach of the grace and the mercy of a God who was raised from the dead. This promise is for all who were far off, everyone, and the Lord God calls to himself. So when those who received his word, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day, about 3,000 souls. Now, here's what I want you to understand. We've got about 120 people in this room right now, and 120 was the total number of followers of Jesus who were gathered on the day of Pentecost waiting for the Holy Spirit. It's 120 followers of Jesus. Now, imagine what would happen if God moved in such a way that next Sunday we baptized 3,000 people. There is no message of condemnation that will ever do that. No message of guilt or shame or judgment will ever accomplish that. The only thing that brings about that kind of repentance is the Holy Spirit of God. What's conviction? Conviction is a hope-filled opportunity for God to change your heart. And what happened to the people who received the message? What happened to the people who received this message that Jesus is alive? They now had glad and generous hearts. See, conviction is a hope-filled opportunity for God to change your heart. Conviction is a hope-filled opportunity for repentance. And if you are here today and you have placed your faith, if you've placed your hope and your trust in the resurrected Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. There is no condemnation for you. But thank the lord that god brings conviction thank the lord that god brings conviction that he brings a hope filled opportunity for god to change our hearts and when that happens when we receive that message and when god brings about glad and generous hearts within us here's the result and they were added to their number daily those who were being saved. From day one, the church has had one simple, clear, compelling, engaging, dynamic message that Jesus is alive. And for those who receive that message, For those who receive that message that Jesus is alive and they don't just hear it, but they take it in and suddenly they experience a risen Savior. Suddenly they experience the resurrected Jesus. Conviction comes to their hearts. Hope-filled opportunity for God to change our perspective comes in. And one by one, day by day, they are added to their number daily those who are being saved.